This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. Hey, teabaggers, it's Charlie here. Uh, before we start the show, I just want to make a quick announcement and let you know that uh, James Fosdyke's first ever solo show, Cheeky Boy, is coming to Melbourne from the 27th of March until the 13th of April. It'll be showing at the Lamington Drive Gallery, which is 52 Bud Street in Collingwood. And I also wanted to announce that on the 5th of April, Will and I will be doing a special one-off live show uh, to celebrate the work of James Fosdyke. Now, we won't be having it at Lamington Drive. We'll be having it at a venue around the corner called The Compound Interest. So Friday, the 5th of April at 2pm at The Compound Interest, come see Tofop Live. Come see a comedy conversation between two, two old mates that somehow involves James Fosdyke. Um, as a thank you to our Patreon subscribers, you guys have been sent an early bird link. So you guys will have that for the first couple of days. And then on the 15th, of March, we'll make that link available to everyone else on Twitter and Facebook. So get in early or get in late. It'll all depend on how much you support the show. Um, or if you know someone who has a Patreon link and they don't mind sending it to you, then that's completely fine as well. We won't hold it against you. We just want to make sure all those seats are filled. So that's uh, a live TOEFOP on Friday, the 5th of April at 2 p.m. at the Compound Interest, celebrating the work of James Fosdyke. So if you're a Patreon subscriber, check your messages for an early bird link. If you're a regular listener, check Facebook and Twitter from the 15th of March, and you'll get a link there as well. Um, cool, that's it. I'm so tired, this is so late, and that's my announcement done. <laughs> The following episode of TOEFOP is rated M.A. It may contain Batman references, time travel references, sexual references, lost trains of thought, and mild course language. TOEFOP advises that the program is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who enjoys succinct, coherent conversation that might actually have a point. Minors must be accompanied by a parent, guardian, or priest. This is John Deke speaking. This is Tofop. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. Uh, wow, Charlie. Where are we? What is going on? We are in a studio. A professional studio? Well, it's a studio in a pub. Yeah. But it is professional. It's semi-professional. Semi-pro. Uh, yeah. Look, I mean, <laughs> let's be honest. Going into a professional radio studio might be a bit too much for this show. Yeah. We might have had an allergic reaction. So we're easing our way into a situation that is... More professional than what we have done previously. Semi-pro. Yeah, yeah, semi-pro. We're at the SB Hotel, the famous, world famous? The world famous. World famous Esplanade Hotel in St Kilda. Yeah. So I've come back to my spiritual heartland. <laughs> I mean, for me, this is a little bit of a spiritual heartland as well. Like, I mean, it's, it, it is a good place for us to do the podcast because yeah. this is where I did my first ever stand-up gig, not in this particular room, but mm. in the Gershwin room out the back. Uh, and so I started doing comedy here. Um, you barrack for the St Kilda Football Club. I, grew up, I grew up Bayside. Exactly. I, uh, my, I, the, the first time I ever went out and drunk alcohol and snuck into a nightclub was on Fitzroy Street at Joey's. Yeah, and I live just down the road from here. Uh, and it should be really easy to get to, but there was a lot of roadworks this morning and I had to do a little detour around Melbourne. Well, St Kilda has changed a little bit, hasn't it? Like, that's what I've noticed been away. I haven't lived in Melbourne for, you know, over 10 years now. But 
Bayside, when I was a young man making my way in the world, St Kilda was where I, I, uh, I decided I wanted to live because it was exciting and there was like bands and pubs and it was a bit grimy back then, but it's gotten a lot, a lot cleaner since that time. Well, certainly the ESPY has. Yes. Oh, the ESPY <laughs> looks amazing. They've <laughs> yeah. done this fit out on it, which is incredible. Yeah, they've spent uh, an incredible amount of money and an incredible amount of time and just uh, revitalised this entire building. And there's like... 11 or 12 different spaces, you know, performance spaces, places for bands. This is not an ad for the SB, no, by the way, but no. it's just very exciting to see. But this is a dedicated podcast studio. This is how, uh, with the times, the SB Renault has been. Yeah. They actually put They're in, like, we're like, renovating this massive, like, entertainment complex. entertainment complex. You know what we need down near the downstairs bar? A podcast studio. Because <laughs> that's what uh, what people may not realise is we are in a, a podcast studio, but we are literally on the ground floor next to the public bar. <laughs> so, like, it's early on a Sunday, so there's not too many people yet. But I imagine as the day goes on, there'll be a lot of people walking past going, what are those two nerds doing? Well, outside this podcast studio, uh, where everybody is sitting, there's sort of like bench seats and mm. there's sort of headphones on the wall. So what's going on over there? Can you listen to I think that's, music or can you listen to us? I think that the, that, is the, that, that is the idea, is you can either listen to music or oh. you can listen to... And can just people come in from the street and listen to us? If, oh, so if people were around, I mean, I know listen. that we're saying this when people will hear this later, so this yeah. actually give if a shout-out. If you've got a DeLorean and the flux capacitor's working, Go back three days in time to when we recorded this on a Sunday. So we can actually have a live audience and it's like silent disco. Yeah. Essentially, we're so. doing the podcast in here and they're out there sitting on so those benches listening to the podcast. So you could listen to Tofop live, yeah. but in the way that you still normally like to listen to a podcast, yes. which is on your headphones by yourself. Come down, have some breakfast, read the paper, put the podcast. I mean, it'd be hard to put it on double speed like some people do. <laughs> Yeah, or half speed to make it sound like we're drunk. We'll actually have to hit the bar to make it sound like we're on half speed. And it will be different though too because it's not like a live show where when we've done live shows in the past, that's a different style of doing the podcast. We will literally be doing what we do, which is just chat to each other. But you'll be sitting, what, not even 10 feet from us. Yeah, well, that's Are the way. encouraging people to do this? I'm not sure if we should. Well, I think it would be a cool idea eventually. Yeah. I mean, once yeah. can't, let's can't, see how this goes. Let's see how this goes, but... I mean, people are listening to it anyway. It doesn't really change the... I mean, I guess, you know, it might put us off a little bit if, like, you know, we're on a particular riff and then suddenly people are just standing outside the glass just, window with their thumbs down. Yeah, just go, taking their headphones boo, off, throwing them on the ground. <laughs> you could make it very vaudevillian, couldn't you? Like, you could look at a lot of people's reactions. We could see how people react to certain bits. What's flying here? Yeah. Is that bit about time travel working anymore? Have we flogged that dead horse? Well, that is, it is an interesting thing of whether it would affect the way that we kept doing the... Like, would we be oblivious to the fact that people were listening to it immediately? Well, there was a trend in radio, and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like there was a trend in radio about 10 years ago where they created a sense of, oh, there's other people in the studio right now, and you, could hear, you couldn't hear them, but you got the sense that there were people laughing and talking, you know, off mic to the host and so you get this sense of hey this is fun and you know there's people walking past the studio and dropping in and oh so and so shaking their head and they don't think that's funny blah 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 is that what we're sort of doing with this is like hey you know we're doing our tofop thing but someone out there is shaking their head they're not happy with that bit haha <laughs> like we expand the world or expand the theater of the mind for the listener at home i mean i don't mind that idea you know there's often a trope in radio where you know the the, the man from management 
you know, becomes a bit of a, like a you know, running joke character on the show. So yeah. like, you know, you make fun of your boss sort of thing. Like we could get, um, you know, uh, Sam Cav. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Dragging in. Outside. Well, you notice he left. He got yeah. to sit up this morning and then he very, very wisely took off before we could drag him into our show. Um, you know what I think... It'd be interesting because there was that trend and Ken, uh, sorry, uh, Martin Malloy were very big on their kind of theory was they would leave the studio door open and you could sort of hear, you know, the laughter from outside and it added to that vibe. Yeah. There's this theory in radio that there's nothing that cues the idea that something is funny than an off mic laugh. Right. You know, the laugh yeah. of somebody... Like, you know, because the on-airs are all meant to be sort of laughing and enjoying themselves and there can be that rhythm to radio where, you know, everything feels a bit funny, but it's about the the energy of the performance. Mm. But occasionally when a line slips through and, you know, the panel operator or someone who's not really meant to be laughing laughs off mic, that's the one that really sells it. Well, maybe we should just be a bit more contrived about it mm. and we'll just leave the door to the studio open and when we want to laugh, we just point out at someone and they have to laugh on command. Right. <laughs> I mean, like, does that work? I mean, it feels a little a bit like if Kim Jong Un decided to do stand up. You imagine that, like, <laughs> there'd be certain people in the audience who would tell his joke, and then he would point to them, and they'd be like, ah! "That's a really good insight into uh, the only upside I can see to being an evil dictator." <laughs> you just never have a bad set. Well, you know when like Vladimir Putin plays those like ice hockey games and he yeah. always scores like seven goals against the Russian national team, and you're like, "Man, he must be an amazing yeah. ice hockey player." <laughs> Or a terrifying dictator who's going to murder their families if they don't let him score. Like, you would never have a tough gig if you uh, had the power of execution well, over your audience. Not only that, but, like, Putin has, like, pop songs written about him. There was a pop song that came out which the lyrics were essentially like, I'm in love with Vladimir Putin or why can't all men be like Vladimir Putin? <laughs> like, imagine that. Like, Will Anderson, the dictator, has his own radio show. And so not only are you getting, like, your staff to come in and laugh at every joke you make, but then you cut to a song. And it's a song about how why can't every man be like Will Anderson? I mean, essentially, wasn't that what Kim Jong-il basically did in, uh, in North Korea? Though, wasn't like he didn't he tell like the Koreans that he'd like, you know, won like you know, all these Olympic gold medals he, and like won first, Oscars. First and, hitting golf was a hole in one. Yeah. Or something so like that. So essentially, he just basically was that. Yeah. He was just like, I am the greatest at everything. Mike, uh, a podcast, Mike. And that was oh. weird. I almost called him Mike Al. But uh, we're, we're, we're doing this with podcast, Mike, in the studio. If you could, um, could you bring up some of Kim Jong-il's yeah. uh, myths? Some yeah. stuff about Kim Jong-il. What, what were his, what were his uh, uh, self-professed achievements? He wrote North Korea's first uh, hip-hop album. He wrote Lic Licensed to Kim Jong-il. <laughs> yeah, didn't he capture a unicorn yeah. or something like that? <laughs> Uh, I um, have no active internet connection, so we'll see if that comes through. Okay, here we go. Got up my phone. Podcast Mike. Kim Jong-un's father, Kim Jong-il, claimed mm. he invented the hamburger. Oh, okay, wait. We, we've got to stop down on that. That is... <laughs> all right, that's all, already amazing. Like, just imagine somebody like walking down the street eating a hamburger and you go, yeah, I invented, I invented that. that. Enjoy the that. The hamburger. <laughs> Enjoy that hamburger that I invented. He called it... Uh, he said he called it the double bread with meat. <laughs> I mean... Isn't that amazing? Like, you're taking credit for inventing the hamburger and then give it a worse name. The most literal name. <laughs> the double bread with meat. <laughs> uh, 
He had grand dreams that would become the new national dish as he unsuccessfully introduced it to the nation's universities. Hey, guys. Yeah. I've just come up with this. I just brainwave last night. Two slices of bread and, and some, some meat. meat. I call it double like, bread and meat. Are you talking about a hamburger, <laughs> Kim Jong-il? Kill him. <laughs> you know, and I have this popular character, the double bread with meat burger, burglar. <laughs> <laughs> the older Kim was also fond of claiming sawdust <laughs> was full of nutrients. Oh. And to enc- encouraging his citizens to chow down on the building byproducts in their irregular times of famine. Oh, God. Kim's I offici- mean, that is... I mean, I guess in some ways, he's killing two birds with one stone. Well, he's killing more than two. Well, he's killing about say, a half a million. Yeah, killing half the people who actually look to him for support and guidance. But yeah, yeah, we need to clean up this sawdust. Also, we need to feed these people. I've got an idea. <laughs> this part of I think you- this might be my best idea since the double bread... With meat. This is so insane. Does part of you feel like this is just the CIA have just, this is misinformation, you know, to kind of like paint someone who's already a horrible dictator, paint him in even worse light? That seems insane to tell people to eat sawdust. Look, there could be a, po- there could be a possibility that that is true. But um, my understanding is that it was more to the fact that if you are in a, if you're the dictator of a place that, has no other contact with the rest of the world, then you can say and do whatever it is that you please. And, you know, once you've, once you've lied about inventing the hamburger, then <laughs> all, it, all bets are all off. Bets are off. <laughs> yeah, nothing's off the table at that point. Well, this is something that you might uh, identify with. Kim's official biography stated he never needed to use a toilet because his body was so well calibrated he didn't urinate or defecate. So... <laughs> That's something that you aspire to, right? You'd I'm, love to have no waste products. I mean, Kim Jong Will. This is <laughs> this is. He might be my new spiritual guru. Um, I well, I need to know more about that. Like, how did he think that his body was so perfectly calibrated? What would you do that meant that you didn't need to pass any waste at all? I guess maybe his body was so finely tuned that he used every bit of nutrient. His body absorbed it, so there was no waste product. There was no byproduct. His body would use every part of whatever. Well, listen, when you're eating uh, double bread and meat, <laughs> like, that's 100% nutrients. There is no waste product. Uh, well, okay. So, I guess, is, is there any value that that would actually be a thing that could happen because like they're always looking at new diets right and this is the mm. diet that makes your body work best and this is you know all the nutrients you need but none of the kind of waste products that you need could there ever be a diet that got you to the point where like because even the best diets you still need to like you know there has to be waste urinate product. and defecate yeah. right yeah, yeah could you actually get to the point where you are going well these are all the new nutrients i need for the day or whatever yeah and you just take in that exact amount of nutrients and then there's no waste products left over? Well, it's not just about that because the nutrients are brought in in a packaging. That's what like fiber and stuff is. Like it's not like you can just consume the nutrients. They're bonded to things like fiber so you can actually consume them. And so the fiber is what you are excreting. Okay, you're excreting the delivery, the delivery system, system of the nutrients. Yeah. It's, like so you get, it's like you get a double bread and meat yeah. <laughs> wrapped in paper. Yeah. You eat the double <laughs> bread and meat and then you throw the paper out. But that had to come in the paper. <laughs> Um, so Double bread and meat should be the sponsor of this podcast uh, Today's episode of Tofop is brought to you by Double bread and meat It's not a hamburger, it's better Double bread and meat And if you don't like it, we'll kill we'll you, kill you. <laughs>
the, the double bread and meats are better at uh, Hungry Kids. Uh, I, I guess that's that idea of the future, right? That idea of the future where you would take a pill or whatever mm. and it was always the futuristic thing that they would show us, which was, yeah. you know, there'd be a time in the future where you get all the nutrients you need for your day by just taking a pill and you don't need to, yeah. you know, sort of eat or drink in the same way as we eat or drink. Yeah. These Think nuts. of Violet Beauregard in Willy Wonka where she eats that one little bit of bubble gum mm. and she gets like a roast, she gets roast dinner with gravy and then she has blueberry pie with ice cream and stuff. It's that. You yeah. get everything you need in a tiny little tablet. Yeah, and that ended fine as far as I remember. Yeah, I think so, so yeah. yeah. Oompa Loompa, everything's fine. Yeah, everything's fine. <laughs> certainly, think, not about, certainly not about a murder of a child. <laughs> Do you think the Oompa Loompas ever came out and sang a happy song? Like, Oompa Loompa, everything's fine. Don't worry about this. Just have some more wine. I reckon the Oompa Loompas have, like, turned on Willy Wonka. I think that's what happened eventually. Yeah. So Oompa Loompas escaped. They said they made... He made us murder the children. Or there's some like we were slaves. Yeah, we were stolen from our homeland, and then he made us murder children. We had no control. There was some like Oompa Loompa who's like the Norma Ray of Oompa Loompas. Who's like, let's unionize <laughs> Oompa Loompa. <laughs> let's yeah. agree on working hours. Yeah, there's, guys, there's more of us than there is of him. <laughs> yeah, and if not, we can eat him. Do you want to get some more Kim Jong Un? Yes, facts? please. Okay, so sawdust. He said, eat sawdust. Uh, Kim's official biography stated in excrete despite having one of the worst international reputations North Koreans are told their leaders are beloved around the world and that we celebrate their birthdays yep. according to his official biography oh that we all celebrate their birthdays yeah. when do you think his birthday would be uh, well I wonder if he's like Christmas day I mean we celebrate the Queen's birthday you yeah. know it's not unreasonable that we could have a day off for like somebody's birthday so you know, I'm happy to have a day off for Kim Jong-il's birthday. Well, he's... When was it? Uh, uh, it doesn't say what date, but apparently his birth was atop a sacred mountain. Mm. He saw a new star created mm. and the winter he turned to spring. He was born on spring. an egg. <laughs> born yeah. on an egg on a mountain top. That, that became thought. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the nature of Kim Jong-un was irrepressible. <laughs> Kim Jong-il, sorry. Uh, however, records kept by the country's Soviet allies showed he was born in a Siberian village in 1941. Um, Kim Jong-un claims to have conquered the country's highest mountain peak. Oh, this is his son now. Okay, great. Uh, Mount Piktu. Piktu? Pikachu. Not Pikachu. Pikachu. Uh, it's the highest mountain in Changbai and Baker. Oh, I can't even pronounce that. Koreans assign a mythical quality to the volcano and it's like considering to be the country's spiritual home. According to the latest syllabus taught in various North Korean schools, Kim Jong-un started driving at the age of three <laughs> and is a skilled composer and musician. Mm. I mean, that's an interesting thing to... I mean, how to does that claim? Make, yeah, I mean, yeah. how does that make you a better leader, knowing that you're recklessly driving at three? Well, maybe not recklessly, you know. I maybe mean, he's winning like... Daytona or something. He's like, you know that movie Baby Driver? That was about me. <laughs> I was a literal baby driver. I did drive a car at the age of three. We used to, my family home was on a fairly, uh, the driveway is on a fairly steep incline. And when I was about three, mum had done the shopping and she'd come home and she'd left me in the car to take the shopping in. And I took the handbrake off. And so mum came out of the house and the car was not in the driveway. And I had rolled the car all the way down the driveway, crossed the street and smashed it into a wall. I mean, does that count as driving? <laughs> I reverse parked it, nailed it. Uh, Mum, take me down the road and get me a double bread and meat. Um, I, I reckon I drove things when I was pretty young because being on the farm, you know, it was not uncommon for, 
you know, dad to sort of like put you on his lap and get you to yeah. drive the tractor or whatever. And then I think I have memories of being, yeah, considerably, you know, a, a young child still and like driving the ute around the paddock or things like that. But you're just steering, you're not driving. You're not like your feet aren't hitting the pedals or anything, right? No, no, no I guess it's not. impossible. Yeah. <laughs> well, yes. In retrospect, Charlie, I believe that would be impossible. I mean, I remember in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, short round had blocks tied to the bottom of his feet so he could hit the pedals. I did not have blocks tied to the bottom of my feet. Or Indiana Jones as a mentor. <laughs> no, neither of those things are true. During his stint at Kim Il-sung University, mm. Kim Jong-il authored a staggering... How many books do you think he wrote? Uh, so more than one, I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so he's written... He had three years to write these. Three years. So yeah. let's say he writes 10 books a year, 30 Oh, books. no, you're... Mate, this guy was productive. Hang on, what? 10 books a year more would be... More than 10 a year. Ten, okay. Try try five hundred a year. Fifteen hundred books, five hundred yes. books a year. Oh, not only that, but he also composed six operas. Hang on, wait, no, don't. Let's not move on to the operas before we deal with the fact that he claims to have written five hundred books while at university. That's there's three hundred sixty five days in a year, mm. unless the North Korean year is like five hundred days or something. So that means he's writing mm. one and a half books a day. Well, he's probably writing all of them at once. I reckon he's got 500 screens open on his laptop. <laughs> and he's just, like at a word at a time story. Yeah, he's just punching out a chapter. Oh, the, he's like one of those geniuses playing chess with yeah. like 12 people at the same time. And he's just going from manuscript to manuscript. You could not read, I'm going to put this on the record, you could not read 500 books in one year, let alone write 500 books in one year. Well, he also composed six operas in that time, full operas. And according to his biography, those operas were better than any in the history of music. Is that right? Yeah. Who would have thanked So, he, hang on. While he was writing 500 books, he managed to compose the six best operas in the history of humanity. Yeah. What, and while he was at uni. Yeah. I mean, what was he studying? I don't know. This just... was, these were just his hobbies. <laughs> His spare time. Oh, we've got a we've got a date of birth for okay, Kim Jong Un, eighth of Jan, uh, nineteen eighty four. You're at the end of Jan, aren't you? So you're not the same star sign. No, you didn't see a star being formed. Hang on, nineteen eighty four. Can't be not Kim Jong Un. Oh, Kim Jong Un, not, not Un, not ill. Okay, so like I'm ten years older than Kim Jong Un, mm. and so it's Kim Jong Un who read, wrote the five hundred books, is it? No, it's Kim Jong Il oh, who okay. wrote the books, yeah, the right. operas. So I mean, I, I thought there was some Olympics thing as well. I but, thought that he'd like. Do you think, right, okay, so I understand that they're, you know, they are very sheltered, the people of North Korea, and they're not getting uh, many, much contradictory information. But just logically, if you hear that, do you not think that is impossible? Do you believe it as an adult? Well, which that bit of someone, it? All of it. <laughs> like, well, I, if you've been raised from birth to, to believe this that this is, person is some divine, glorious leader, this stuff is evidence of this divine, glorious leader's I guess, Superpower. I guess it's interesting though, but like, you know, you were taught Santa Claus was real as a kid. And then at some point you go, that doesn't make any sense. Like even if you've been told that stuff as a child, don't you just get older and you're working in some horrendous like government run factory or whatever? Wouldn't you just start going, I don't know, man, I've experienced real life. I'm what if you were living in a country though, where anytime somebody had a conversation about whether Santa might be real or not, that person was taken out the back and murdered. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> don't you think people would hold on to the idea of Santa for a little while longer? If say, for example, they had a fat power head who was uh, making a list of whether they'd been naughty, naughty or, or nice. nice. <laughs> 
listening into their conversations. Yeah. The night before Christmas, you yeah. have to leave out a double bread and meat. Yeah. Yeah. The night before Christmas and all through the house, not a creature was stirring because they'd all been murdered by their authoritarian government. So you don't think that, I mean, I understand there's like conditioning and brainwashings up, mm. but you don't think that just just the, the, the nature of understanding how hard life is for you, that it would be impossible to think that this other guy had been so blessed. But isn't that the story throughout humanity of how they've ma- managed to subjugate you know, serfs and working class people and whatever. There is some form of that mythology mm. that operates right across our system, right? Yeah. Like there's more poor people than... We live in a world now where like, you know, whatever it is, there's a bunch of figures around. But let's just say the top 100 wealthiest people in the world probably have about as much stuff as half of the rest of the world, right? So that in itself is that same disparity. And that in itself is based on a series of myths around this idea that somehow Jeff Bezos is this genius and deserves to have all the money while, you know, starving families don't deserve to have any of it. We have our own versions of those myths. So if you're in this bubble where your entire success relies on the idea that people are getting this message and you're cut off from the rest of the world and you're not getting these messages in. So, like, we stop believing in Santa Claus because we get to a point where we get enough information from the outside world for us mm. to go, oh, hang on, Santa Claus isn't real. But if you're living in a place where you're never getting outside information that Santa Claus isn't real, is there a chance that you would just keep believing in Santa Claus? I don't know. I mean, it's hard. I was talking about uh, this religion uh, with a friend last night, and it's like, I think, you know, in the late 70s and early 80s, my memory of, like, growing up in the Catholic community was... You know, there was awareness of, you kind of accepted that the stuff that you were doing was ceremonial. You know, you didn't actually believe that this was the body and blood of Jesus Christ, that, you know, there was a kind of degree of suspension of disbelief, I guess. That's the best way I could describe it. But there was also this idea of, um, you know, there's power structures within the church and there's hierarchy and stuff. And I think that what I've noticed happen over my lifetime, everyone that I know who was raised Catholic is... I don't know, really know that many practicing Catholics anymore because the advent of information plus what's come out about the Catholic Church has just made it like an untenable Has there been some position. bad news about the Catholic oh, Church? Yeah, believe it or not, Will. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it, I really think it had something to do with... Like, I talked to my mum about it with, you know, everything that happened with George Pell and stuff. I was like, if, if people knew what was going on... And I remember her saying that, yeah, the, there's a bunch of dads in my parish who did suspect something was going on with one of the local priests and went to confront Cardinal Pell or Bishop Pell he was at that time. And he just told them to, st- you know, get their noses out of it and that, you know, if they thought of suing the church, that the church has very deep pockets and that they could be excommunicated and make life very hard for them. And church has some deep pockets and those pockets have holes in them yeah. so they're convenient to stick things through, if you know what I'm saying. But there was this, there was this kind of idea that, well, I mean, back in the day, like the priest was almost like the unimpeachable yeah. figurehead of your community and... You know, I'm not sort of pointing the finger at blaming any of those parents. I think there was just that element of, well, you know, th- this is a person we go to for counsel. This is the person that it's is in God's charge representative of on earth. Exactly. Yeah. And if you start pulling at th- those threads, then everything is going to fall apart. But if you look, if you use that as an example, right? Like it is the, it is the sunshine. You know, whatever they say, sunshine's the best disinfectant. It is the sunshine of the worldview that that has finally happened. But you look at countries like Ireland where it took so long to overturn the abortion laws because of the deep belief there in you know, in the church. And it's been a worldwide thing as this has come out more and more. 
And that's in the Western world. That's in the world where we have access to all this information and we have access to it's taken that long. So if you're in a country where you've been cut off from all that access, I mean, I'm sure there's dissidents and stuff who mm. have received, yeah, once you receive information from the outside world, then you're in trouble. And this is why these dictators have tried to keep themselves closed off from the outside world because they're like, oh my God, if people start watching like, you know, TV from South Korea, they're going to realise... I didn't write 500 books in one year. Well, so like China, right? They limit internet access for their citizens, don't they? Yeah, absolutely they do, yes. So how does that work, though, if you're a Chinese national who, I mean, and you travel overseas? Like, do you just like get to your hotel and you log on? You're like, holy shit. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I had no idea. I mean, because surely, like, people travel for work all the time from China. So when they get to other countries, like, are they still monitored? Does Shuey, those Shuey phones, are they just like tracking devices? Uh, yes, right. I think would be part of it. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a... And also, I think it's very... You have to be a certain style of person, uh, like be checked out by the government to a certain degree to be able to to leave China and, you know, do these things. Um, I also think... I know that they're very careful about money that you... That's why those big gambling islands like Macau and things like that... Um, you, there's certain amounts of cash limits that the Chinese can take out or take back into China. So, like, you, you, they, that's why they're great at buying luxury goods. You know, they have some big win and then they'll go and buy a $10,000 watch rather than, you know, the amount of cash that they can carry and these sort of things. But I'm not really across it enough to... Well, it just seems... I just would have thought that the internet was so all-pervasive, like, that surely they can't... That can't last forever where they keep shutting things down. Like surely there's hackers and people finding like ways around firewalls or whatever blocks the government are putting on stuff. Yeah, but the Chinese government are so incredibly powerful. I mean, they're the most powerful government in the world at the moment and they have, you know, billions of people and they have, uh, you know, an amazing control of their people and they've, you know, spent a lot of the last sort of 20 years buying up everything and like, you know, financially controlling a whole bunch of different areas and countries so i'm not actually sure that anybody has the might and power these days to be able to do anything about what the chinese are doing i'm talking about from within china like, oh yeah well china are normally pretty good with uh protest yeah protesting re- revolutionaries yeah i oh, know they take that really well <laughs> yeah. they're very open-minded about dissidents in china from what i've well from every, what i've seen every kind of like star trek or like sci-fi fiction will always sort of posit the idea of is it better to live in a controlled society in which like you, you want for nothing and there's no crime and there's no upset or do you want complete freedom and chaos well i think we've got good examples of both at the moment and you know what we've done with our complete freedom, you know, which has become chaos, you know, has been a good example for <laughs> the opposite, you know. I think it has been. I think it's been really positive for the, you know, the the Chinese, you know, in regard to that their way of running things, which is so um, foreign to us and, and to me seems, I mean, you know, it just goes against, you know, so many things that I believe in, but... Our example of the opposite at the moment is a hot mess. It's really hard to argue for what we've been doing. Yeah, exactly. Like in the old days, it used to be like, come on, China, you need free access to capitalism and the internet and everything that we have. And then you kind of look at... Let the market decide. Yeah, and then you look at what the market has decided in our world and you think, actually, maybe the market was... That was that was the wrong way to go as well. How do you... I mean, do you th- can you see any other way besides like a, a massive economic catastrophe to sort of level the playing field? Is there a way to reign... Because the people with the money and the power now, they're not going to give that up. 
And there are so many ways for them to kind of like diversify and keep that money, you know, within their group. How does it, how do we get it back? Like Dave Anthony is a big fan. Revolution. Yeah. yeah. Dave, uh, Dave Anthony is constantly threatening to eat people yeah. <laughs> <laughs> online. Like, I mean, Jeff Bezos just basically, it's like a Warner Brothers cartoon where Dave Anthony looks at Jeff Bezos and he sees a giant roast chicken. I feel like David started biting his fingernails just so he can get used to the taste of human flesh (laughs) for when he starts eating rich people. Uh, Rich people will taste delicious. I've always said this. If we're going to eat the rich first, they're going to be, I mean, they're like Wagyu humans. Mm, Marbled, lovely marbling. Exactly, a lot of fatty foods. They've been well raised, you know. Um, I think that we are at that point in our world at the moment where the disparity in wealth is so incredibly out of whack that I don't know how it gets redressed. Like other than the collapse of the entire financial system, you Mm. know, but it's unfeasible now. Like that, you know, that I think Bezos has, you know, more money, like 1% of his fortune, like is the same as the GDP of like a whole bunch of countries, you know, like that he could, he could buy a house for everyone, every homeless person in America. He could, solve starvation in the world for a decade just out of his own personal wealth like that is just a something's beeping uh should we talk about the most exciting news this week yes russell crowe (sighs) i mean wow what a now it'll actually be two. It'll be two when people are hearing this. It'll actually be two weeks. So something even better might have happened by now. <laughs> Let's hope. But uh, to fill people in, so we did an episode um, called "One Heart at a Time," yes. where the conversation was about uh, Twitter making you like some celebrities more and dislike some celebrities more. And Russell Crowe was one we agreed that Twitter has made us like him more. I've been thinking about this a lot since because we hadn't much like every conversation on this podcast. We hadn't thought about it before we started talking about it. And I was, with the events of this week, which we'll get to, um, it made me think a lot about what I really thought about Russell Crowe. You know, I've been spending a lot of time really... You got introspective? I, (laughs) I, I was trying to, like, I think, I think so often in life, the way that we look at our history, what have you lost? I've lost my water bottle, but keep going. Um, uh, the way that we look at our history is through our modern day eyes, and it can be quite revision, revisionist, revisionist. Yep. So you can look back and go, this is what we were thinking at the time, but it isn't necessarily what we were thinking at the time. When we came up with the name of the podcast, yeah. uh, 30-odd footer pod, yep. TOFOP, uh, it was... Yes, we were just looking for something that was a bit nonsensical, you know, like because the podcast wasn't about anything in particular. Yeah. Um, I think I have an exercise book at home that is filled with all our like our suggested names of the show. I think we had like 30, yes. 30 names. For instance, one of, the, <laughs> one of the ones I remember was I wanted to call it It's a Swan. <laughs> <laughs> Which, if you think Tofop is an obscure reference... I wanted to name the podcast after a lyric by the Hilltop Woods that always made you and I laugh, which is they talk about doing origami. Yeah. And I suffer, what is that? It's, it's a, a swan! swan. <laughs> and you said you like it, but maybe a bit too obscure. Might date. Yeah. Might date a little. So, 
Um, we went with a play on Russell Crowe's band, 30-odd foot of grunts. Uh, and Is it grunts or grunt? I mean, you'd think that we should know it. Podcast, Mike, can you uh, find yeah. that information 30 for 30-odd foot of grunt, maybe. 30-odd foot of grunt or grunts, thanks. I think it was 30-odd foot of grunt, maybe. Um, so 30-odd foot of grunt, and then they had changed their name later to The Ordinary mm, fear, fear of God, God, which was also Tofog, right? And to me, that just was grunts, always... Grunts, plural. Yeah, okay. So 30-odd foot of grunts, and then... Um, well, you can't have 30-odd foot of grunt, can you? Well, I always thought it was 30-odd foot of grunt as in, like, your engine's got grunt. Mm. You know, get your 30-odd foot. <laughs> <laughs> How much horsepower? I don't know, mate, but I've got 30 odd foot of grunt. How much grunt's this thing got? About 30 odd foot, which actually does Let's not seem like, a, doesn't seem like a lot of grunt. But I know nothing about cars. So if you told me it has 200 horsepower or 30 odd foot of grunt, I'm like, yeah, all right, sounds good. Yeah, this is like us idiots, our modern day idiots, just opening up the bonnet and going, I think it's. Uh, I think it's the carburetor, mate. I yeah. think it's uh, down on grunts. It's the uh, carbonara, yeah. mate. The carbonara is clearly you clogged. You've got a carbonara problem there, mate. It's only got about 10-odd uh, foot of grunts. <laughs> <laughs> that's, what, that's what your problem is here. You've got to clean the bacon out of your pipes. So, <laughs> so I, I, I imagine we must have at some stage on this podcast talked about what 30-odd foot of grunts actually means but I can't, I can't remember so if podcast Mike could look that up and if we could actually find some explanation of what 30 odd foot of grunts actually I mean it seems means. bizarre if we've done 230 episodes and we have not once talked about the inspiration for the name of this show well because I believe there is a meaning behind it I, I believe that 30 odd foot of grunts means something it's some reference to like this yeah the staging or the mm. I don't know some something musical I'm, I don't mm. really know but anyway back then Russell Crowe was a bit of a he was a, like a, a slightly ridiculous figure, even though he was this Oscar, yeah, Academy Award winning actor. He was also, you know, famous for yeah, throwing his phone at people. Took himself very seriously. It seemed that he took himself very, very seriously. And his music seemed to be the great example of like a star's, you know, vanity side project. Even though, you know, we knew that he was a rustler rock in his early days in New Zealand. And then he, you know, had his 30-odd foot of grunts. And... So it seemed funny. You know, he was, in fact, in some ways, he was a Kim Jong-un style <laughs> character. <laughs> okay, hang on. Like, Not that right. he was murdering people. Or he invented, like, bread, bready snacks. Well, it just seemed like that he was the sort of person who might come out and, like, he'd be doing an interview on Letterman and Letterman would be like, uh, so you ate a lot of hamburgers for this? And he'd be like, well, actually, in New Zealand, I invented the hamburger. <laughs> I caught it. The Jandelburger. The Jandelburger. <laughs> Um, so I think that at that point I had a, a mix of some affection for Russell Crowe, definitely, the, mm. no doubt, and definitely a lot of admiration for his capacity as an actor. There's absolutely no doubt that I've always been a, a massive fan of his capacity as an actor. I've always thought he was a really great actor. Um, the Insider, I think, is one of the all-time great, you know, overlooked Oscar performances. Um, I had a a great deal of affection for a movie called The Sum of Us. Mm -hmm. You ever seen that? With Jack Thompson. Oh, yeah. His performance in that is just beautifully understated and charming and all these sort of things. You know, great actor. Yeah. But I wasn't sure that I necessarily was beloved of Russell Crowe. Is yeah. that fair to say? Yeah. Uh, what, are, what are you talking you, about me? Or, no, or that's your, what I'm saying. <laughs> I don't know what you feel about Russell Crowe. What, uh, what I, do you think you I've thought about Russell Crowe? I actually, here's a bit of trivia. My uh, year 12 media project, I did a project on Russell Crowe. I did a whole like, uh, I actually even got in trouble 
because I was running late with my project to get it delivered in time and I borrowed uh, a copy of Inside Film magazine from our school library and I didn't have time to copy it so I just cut a picture of Russell out of the magazine and stuck it to li- stuck it in my project before I submitted it and I got busted by the school. I got detention. So thanks, Russ. <laughs> no, but I was a big fan of his. I mean, Romper Stomper was, uh, um, was very popular at my high school. Everyone thought he was... A lot so, of neo-Nazis. A lot of neo-Nazis, school. but he's like a fucking badass and it was shot in Melbourne and it was all fights and all that kind of yeah. stuff. So that was sort of getting passed around at my school and then... Was it The Quick and the Dead came out just after when it first mm-hmm. year of uni? Anyway, so I, I always thought he was awesome. I really liked Russell Crowe. And then, yeah, he went through that period sort of post-Gladiator where he was like, you know, getting angry at the BAFTAs and stuff because he wanted to do a poem and yeah. all that kind yeah. of stuff. And I, even when I, I was on a sketch comedy show uh, years ago called Big Bite and when we were putting that show together and we were in the writer's room and we are putting together all these different sketches – one of the things I did was a Russell Crowe impression. Like I did, and that was going to be my thing. I ended up doing another show, so I didn't do it. But that was my, I was going to be doing, and the joke was, Rusty will bail you up at any given time and just start doing poetry. So yep. that we wrote a bunch of sketches <laughs> where it's like, some woman's on a tram and Russell Crowe sits down next to her and is like, oh, yeah, get that folks, how's it going? Yeah. <laughs> to be a poet and not know the trade, to feel your heart beat but not know why. And then, like, people just want to moving seats and stuff. Well, Justin Hamilton and I, still to this day, when we talk to each other on the phone, start with, G'day, G'day folks, how's, how's it going? going? <laughs> like, Because post- that's what he said at the BAFTAs, yeah. wasn't it? G'day, G'day folks, folks, how's it going? <laughs> and when he won the Oscar, what was it? Like, God bless Australia, God defend New Zealand, and... No, God bless America, God defend New Zealand, and thank Christ for Australia. Yeah. And... He was, I mean, there was all those rumours going around, you know, he was, it, there was a lot of mythology around Russell Crowe at the time. You know, the most famous of all being the one that, I know that he has been asked about and denied, but was when he would have sex that he would chant, go Rusco. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing about him was, he was just so much larger than life that you kind of bought into those things. Yeah, he's a Hollywood star. And also to... I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but at the time that he won that Oscar, so Jeffrey Rush had won an Oscar before that, but we didn't have a heap. It feels like now there's a heap of Australian Hollywood stars like Margot Robbie and Chris Hemsworth and Nicole Kidman. But I feel like Rusty was kind of like one of the early ones with like Nicole Kidman and stuff, right? And he was, I think, genuinely a super actor. That was the thing. He was a star. He wasn't just a famous, good-looking guy. And a super actor. The new Brando. Yeah. And I think he leaned into that a little bit as well. And look, the, I think perhaps the fact that, you know, he is all those things as well mm. led to this sort of larger-than-life perspective. And and maybe he was also being like that, you know, mm. at the time. You know, that may well have been what he was thinking. But it seems like since he sort of moved back to Australia and he's, you know, relaxed into the, like this l- later stage of his life that... Well, I, you know, the, there was an episode of South Park which I think perfectly... Russell Crowe fighting all over the world. Yeah, and I think that perfectly spoofed everything that people made fun of Russell Crowe about, was that self-serious guy who was getting into punch-ups and stuff and just enjoy being famous and all that kind of stuff. And then I saw an interview with uh, Russell where they talked about that episode and he was able to laugh and go, yeah, it actually was a good wake-up call for me because I think I did take myself very seriously. I couldn't laugh at myself. So maybe that was... Maybe Trey and Matt... (laughs) Like, if all the... Brilliant things they've done in careers. Maybe getting Russell Crowe to kind of laugh at himself was one of the greatest things they've achieved. So he, he seems to, in this you know stanza of his life, you know, become just a person with a, 
I, look, my understanding is from people who knew him that he always had that sense of humour. Mm. But I think he's just become a little less afraid to show people that he has that sense of humour. And and I 100% now, you know, uh, 100% Russell Crowe fan. And that's what, what we had got to. Twitter had got me right across the line, 100% unapologetically <laughs> a Russell Crowe fan. I need to point out, just for the record, that Justin always says that the easiest way for to get me to be a fan of somebody is for that person to give me a compliment. <laughs> yeah, I, I will I will say that one night he did message me that he and his son had watched my stand-up special and enjoyed it and that may have also <laughs> pushed me in the direction of, you know what, Russell Crowe's a good bloke. Our podcast, Mark, has just sent us a bit more info on 30-odd foot of grunts. Apparently the name uh, for the total height of the band's members and their tendency to rock out. By their mid-2000s, the band had kept their toe-fog initialism but had changed the name to Ordinary Fear of God. Sadly, didn't quite get the same level of confusion behind it and the band slowly faded away. Whoa, I don't know. Is that <laughs> podcast, Mike? Is that your commentary? <laughs> or did you pull that straight? You pulled that straight from the internet. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, so, so, okay. So something to do he with looked at the heights of the band Yeah. and it's like we're about 30-odd foot. There's probably five guys who are six foot eight. So yeah. we're about 30-odd foot. Oh, grunt, of and, grunt, and grunt being like a, a yeah. serviceman, like an yeah. infantryman. You grunts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Fact, they're blue-collar rock and rollers. Yeah. I get it. All right. Oh, that's All right. nice. That's actually well, look at you now. It gives you a compliment and all of a sudden you love the band name. And now it's a, like, it's a collective. It's yeah. not like Russell Crowe and the Gladiators. <laughs> oh, no. But now I want to see that thing. <laughs> Russell Crowe and the Proof of Lifers. This one's called I Am Maximus. <laughs> you couldn't call it the Romper Stompers, could you? <laughs> I'm Romper. This is Stomper. We're a duo. <laughs> like Millie Vanilli. <laughs> yeah. Millie Boy. Vanilla, everyone is yeah. white. Exactly. Blame it on the Asians. <laughs> That's our song. Uh, all right. Which brings us to the events of uh, uh, a couple of weeks. Ago. So uh, let's uh, just re- go over this. So there it, well, there's a tweet about his performance in Robin Hood. That's what yeah, it was, we, right? Yeah, well, we had a conversation. Yes. Oh, yeah. So we, there was a tweet. Uh, that I saw in which someone had tweeted, because Russell likes to retweet a compliment every now and then, and someone had said, uh, hey, saw you in Robin Hood, and it's the greatest portrayal of Robin Hood, you know, put on film. Which is kind of hilarious, because when most people, when they think of Robin Hood, think of Errol Flynn. Like, yeah. that's the most famous, you know, or even the cartoon Fox in that Disney cartoon. Very few people, I imagine, think of middle-aged Russell Crowe as Robin Hood. But yeah. he retweeted it with the, with the saying, one heart at a time, yes. which we said we loved because he's either being serious about it, which is hilarious for its own reason, or he's being ironic, which also shows he has a great sense of humour. But uh, So the artwork for that episode that Foz did was Russell Crowe as Robin Hood, just doing the little heart symbol, you know, where, they, where people bunch their hands together. The little and the episode was called One, one heart, heart at a Time. At a time. And... Weirdly enough, in the entire time that we've been doing this podcast, I mean, Foz hasn't been doing individual episode art for that entire time, but it was the first time ever that he'd drawn Russell Crowe. Which is odd, considering how often he's come up yes. in this show. And the other thing is that we need to mention at this point, we've often had conversations around the idea of whether Russell knows this podcast exists. Yeah, and you've interviewed him on your radio show, right? Like yes. he's been in your studio and it's never come up. And he's messaged you to say he likes your show. So it's never been mentioned, but you, surely you've got to know because the names are so close to each other that it would catch your eye, you know, if you just see it referenced. And he strikes it, me as the kind of guy who probably occasionally Googles Tofog. Yeah. I mean, not on a you know Ricky Gervais level where he just <laughs> no. Googles his own name to see if anything, anyone say anything mean about him. But 
Yes. Surely it's at least been mentioned to him. It's come across his table. He's got to have some awareness. But we've never, until what happened this week, had a really direct connection between the two. Yeah. So basically, the artwork is Russell Crowe as Robin Hood doing the heart symbol. And Russell... Now, this is the point of contention between you and I. We're just discussing it off air, what Russell meant. But in the way Foz has drawn it, there's a lot of shadow work. And under Russell's nose is quite a deep shadow, which kind of looks like... I mean, it could be anything. It just looks like a, a, what I thought was the shape of a bra. Russell wrote to Foz, like retweeted the drawing and said, what's up with my nose bra? Which, and what did you think that meant? Well, originally when I just saw that, I thought that he was kind of... Because I had sent the tweet... And, like, Russell had sort of, you know, retweeted it with a comment. And I thought he was saying, what's with my nose, brah? Yeah. Like, you know, like, brah. Or, like, you yeah, know, bro. bro. Yeah. But, look, have a look. That's the original picture. This is Russell's tweet. I'm just showing okay, you. Okay, you so show me Russell Crowe's tweet. All right. What's going on with my nose, brah? You're yeah. right. It's yeah. N- yeah. It's not because it's not what's going on with my nose, brah, comma, brah. Bra, yeah, which like, is what like you Like Keanu Reeves. As if Keanu, yeah. Keanu Reeves is asking you. Yeah. Like that, me. I, I just assumed bruh. that Russell and I referred to each other as bra. And I think that's spelled. And I'm glad that I didn't respond to that. I'm going. I don't know, bra. But I think that is spelled B R U H, bra. Yeah, or hey, bro. Bruh. Yeah. Or no, bruh. I just thought bra. I mean, I, I don't know anyone to call someone. Oh, or maybe you put an H after the A because if you're going to say what's with my nose, bra. Yeah. And you spell B R A. It's confusing. You've got to put an H after it. Well, the good point is that you have to put an H after it or you have to put a comma and then <laughs> bra. And yeah. he had done neither of those things. So it was weird of me to assume it was that. So he's specifically talking about the nose bra. Foz, in a brilliant case of one-upmanship, responds by saying, okay, so I fixed it by drawing a white lacy bra over Russell's nose. Which, bold move, mm. from a man with a history of violence. <laughs> <laughs> but Rusty wrote back yeah. and just wrote grateful. Yeah. And you know what I think from that? What? One heart at a time. (laughs) My head exploded when I saw that. I was like, I mean, surely he's now curious because it's the name of the podcast is in that artwork. There's your name, which obviously recognizes mine, which he probably doesn't. But he must be curious. Why am I in this? What is this TOEFOP? They seem to have adopted. They're using my face and four out of five letters of my band. (laughs) You've got to be curious, right? I mean, maybe he lives in a world where you get to the point where you understand that there are a lot of people who have thoughts about you or comments about you. You know, like you said, you were on a sketch show where they were going to have a regular character who's just, you know, Russell Crowe. Maybe you just get to the point where you're like, yes, that's who I am. I'm the sort of person that... People just... Well, here's the thing. And I'm cool with it. Because you know if it was Trump... And we were Saturday Night Live. He'd be live tweeting every episode as it comes out. And the other thing about Russell Crowe is if he wanted to, he because when I saw that originally, I was like, oh, shit, I never thought about that. Hope he's cool about it because he's got a legion of followers who I'm sure that if he wanted to turn them against us, he could do that. Flame these wankers. Exactly. He could dox us. Well, there were 500-odd replies to his original tweet. And not one of them mentioned us. <laughs> like, and I read pretty much most of them. There were like 500 replies and they were all along the lines of like, ha, 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 uh, nose bra, you're so funny, Russ. Like his star power is so lum- luminescent that even though the artwork was by Foz about our podcast yeah. and our names are written there, everyone blew past that. It was like Russell came up with a joke. 
That's how famous he is. Everyone who replied was like, you're so funny, Russ. How did you think of that? <laughs> it's like, well, actually, Foz was the one who kind of one-upped it. Yeah. But he's the biggest star. Well, and see, that explains what's going on in North Korea. Yeah, right. Like, you know, if the star power of the charismatic leader is so much that the acolytes underneath are like, yeah, yes, all-powerful one. Yeah. Yeah, you know, we only listen to you. We've blocked out the other stuff. Oh, man. Speaking of blocking out some stuff, do you want to get some letters? Yeah, let's do some letters. I need some Patreon. And also, are we still filming? Is that camera still on? Because I laughed so yes. loud at that last thing, I threw back my head and smashed it against the wall. <laughs> so if I die of a concussion, I want you to at least have that bit of viral content on the GoPro to be able to put out afterwards. We definitely have that. Okay, let me... This might take a second. Uh, okay. Ah, oh, shit, i got to connect to the internet. Just, uh, why don't you vamp for a bit while I connect? Uh, well, I'm just going to say this about the Russell Crowe thing. Mm -hmm. um, it was a really cool moment because I've always thought about how do we... I mean, this podcast wouldn't exist to a certain degree without Russell Crowe. And it's certainly become... While the podcast isn't about anything in particular, one of the consistent themes throughout the entire time has been Russell Crowe. And... In some ways, I think we should also be incredibly grateful that Russell Crowe hasn't been involved in some sort of terrible scandal that's meant that we've had to... Oh my God, like a Cosby sweater yeah. type situation. Right, well, because that's the thing with the Hilltop Hoods. When yeah. they had that big... They had that, that song, Cosby Sweater, and then literally the Cosby allegations came out months later. Now, I went to... You know, people still seem to enjoy that at the Eminem concert. You know? Yeah. Like, they still do that Cosby Sweater. That was their encore. But, um, but yeah, that circumstance could have made it more awkward for us. Um but also, it's 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 one of those things where I never wanted to push it. I never wanted to go, let's get Russell on yeah. or let's get, you know, because I didn't want him to... What I would love, wouldn't it be great if the big revelation is he's been listening the whole time? Amazing. And he, like he's but a he's fan. Never, and he's bought merch. Yeah, but he's <laughs> never said anything about it. Well, it's a bit like the Doug Anthony All-Stars, isn't it? Like... That name was good for so many reasons, but they, it's never like they needed Doug Anthony to come out. They didn't need a Doug Anthony endorsement. That was part of the joke is it's such an obscure kind of reference. And that's sort of the area we were sort of playing in. Yeah, but when I would like do interviews and stuff, like when I do other podcasts in the US and they would always ask about the name of the podcast, they'd always want to ask Break about Russell Crowe. Right. And so you'd end up talking about Russell Crowe a lot. And so I feel like Russell has been you know, a, an enormous part of this podcast. So now He's been after, our third host. Yeah, after all these years... The idea that like he's at least bumped into it. So this, what's weirder at that point, G going and having a listen, or is it just a, even a? What would you do? Like, say for example, mm. that you're on the internet and then suddenly, you know, this bit of art comes up of like you know one of your characters or whatever that you've you know played on a TV show. Like somebody's yeah. done a whole like podcast <laughs> about Zach. From home and away, yeah, yeah. right? And so it's a picture of you, like, you know, and it, it references something that Zach had said on home and away. Yeah. Would you go and listen to that podcast? Yes. I'd be curious to know if I'm a feature of the podcast. What like, if they had a podcast called Back in Zach and it's only about Zach from home and away? Um, they go through every episode of Home and Away you were in, but only feature your I'm story sure lines. that podcast, like, that sounds like the kind of podcast that probably exists. <laughs> like, we're going to watch the same episode of Home and Away every day for a year. Uh, yeah, I would be, I mean, I don't, I mean, if it's about my character, if it's about me, I'd be more curious to listen to it. But I don't, I don't really know if it's just about the work I've done. I'm probably not that interested. What about if it was like... Uh, well, how about this? So we can both okay. comment. If it was a podcast about Tofop. Right. 
If there was if there is a podcast that was a play on, like, it's called Everyone Relax, yeah. the Tofop podcast, where they discuss tangentially Tofop. Right. We're an influence, but we're not necessarily. It's not like they break down every episode. Would you listen to that? I mean, it would depend on whether I, I'd be less interested in them breaking down the episode. But if I like the hosts, I guess I would. <laughs> so we're relying on Russell finding us appealing. Scallywags. What if Russell Crowe uh, and one of his friends did a podcast that was like a talking tofop called Everyone Relax, where he went through episodes of Tofop and he reviewed them with his friends? That'd be amazing. And you get like a, no a different a different guest each week. Oh, yes. Russell's connected. That's true. So you get like Tom Cruise in one this week. This week Russell Crowe and Tom Cruise <laughs> talk, 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 talk about tofop. He actually gets Kathy Bates on for the Kathy Bates episode. I mean, how like that must be a way to leverage. He's got plenty of money. This podcast has no money. I mean, this is like um, this is the Chopper Reed speech. I got no money, <laughs> but like surely Russell retweeting us, like or, or doing just doing a little bit of a tofop shout out. Does that get us listeners? You think? Oh, okay. So that's a very good point. There may be people who are listening for the very first time. So let's say Russell isn't listening. Yeah, but there may have been people who have been listening for the very first time based on the fact that Russell retweeted the artwork twice, there might be fans of Russell Crowe's who are like, I'm mm, curious enough to go. Is this a podcast about my favourite actor, Russell Crowe? Yeah. Looks like it. He's in the artwork. And the name is pretty similar to his band, so I assume. And then they tune in for a dissection of Fire Festival yeah. six weeks after <laughs> the documentary came out. Yeah. What They're the like, fuck I'm is waiting, this? I'm waiting through a lot of stuff about North Korea before they get to the Russell Crowe content this week. Yeah, I don't know if it would be... You wouldn't necessarily recommend it to a Russell Crowe fan based on the name. If you are a fan of Russell Crowe or you saw Russell Crowe retweet the podcast and you're listening to this episode because of that, please let us know. Yeah. We would love that. How can they contact us, Charlie? They can contact us by going to tofop.com and there's a little tab there called Hey Tofop. That's how you send us a message. Or if you want to send us a message and support the show, you go to patreon.com forward slash tofop. And not only when you, if you send us a message, not, oh God, let me start again. Not only if you send us a message, do we read it out on air, but you go in the draw <laughs> to win a Tofop sticker pack. I said it's a draw like we draw it out. We just basically we pick decide. the easiest. You go into the draw, which is us deciding. You know, Normally I, based on the person who sent their address. The last two winners, I actually have, compl- I had to, when I was going through the Patreon messages last night, I was like, shit, who did we give the prizes out to last time? I had to go back and listen to the previous two episodes to work out who we awarded the prizes to. They are coming out. I just forget. But uh, we have a couple of messages to read. Let's, uh, let's, re- let's, let's see how many we get through. So this okay. is from Elena. Elena says, hi, Tofop. And she opens with a compliment, which, as we discussed last week, we love. Yeah. Doesn't open aggressively like it's some of those guys who like to make fun of us before yeah. they get to the question. Negus. Hey, dickheads. We It'd be you. great if Russell contacted us, but only through the Patreon. Yeah, exactly. If he joined Patreon. At one, a dollar a month. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> like he could literally buy and own our podcast and turn it into the Russell Co. newsletter for years. Or Tofop, presented by Tofog. <laughs> Like it'd be great. With a house band. It'd be great if Tofog. What if we did a Tofop Tofog tour? What? Yes. So that's a, we had a band like a Tofog live show. Support Tofop. Or who's I mean, that, who? that'd be the greatest ever live show. What is Tofop open for? If Tofog? we had Russell Crowe as our guest on our podcast, but also his band as our house band, <laughs> that'd be amazing. Thirty odd foot of tour. Tofot. 
I mean, it costs a lot. Tofo, 30-odd foot of entertainment? Look, we'll work on a name with <laughs> Russell. He can have at least 50-50 input on that. Uh, Elena writes in, hi, Tofop. Love the show. Always listen to the new eps above all other podcasts, of which there are so many these days, and you are still my favourite. Oh, you're getting, you're getting there is a lot too, though. How many podcasts do you reckon there are in the world? I reckon uh, there's two podcasts per person on the planet. So <laughs> what's that? 12 billion? I mean, uh, you have two on your own. I have two. Yeah. So, well, three, one that's in the archives. So three podcasts, you've got three. So, I mean, you and I alone account <laughs> for half of them. I wonder if there is Kevin any, Smith has about 400. If there's any stats on that. Podcast Mike, if, can you Google and see if uh, we know how many podcasts there are in the world? Let's do a closest to the pin. How many do you reckon there actually are in I the mean, world? I mean, I don't know if we can even know, but like on iTunes or whatever, they'd be able to collate them. So let's just say pod, percentage of population. Are, I'm going to have to go a percentage of population. Yeah. So um, I'm going to say there are, I'll say 5 million podcasts. 5 million? <laughs> yeah. Do you think there's that many? Yeah, I think so. I would say there's less than a million podcasts. Which is still a lot of podcasts. I mean, so I'm glad that uh, this person, who was it? Elena. Elena listens to ours first anyway. We are the most popular out of all 12 billion podcasts. Yep. <clears throat> uh, now, she says we've been talking lately. Now, this is, I think we got this on the, oh no, 20th of Feb, this is okay. You've been talking lately about the sticker book. I thought I'd mention the website Sticker Mule, where you can get custom stickers made. I've heard good things about them, and they have free shipping to Australia. It sounds oh, turning into an ad for Sticky Mule. I haven't used them personally. Um, I'm sure the demand will continue past 50 pages. Oh, that's the other thing I should um, uh, mention. So when I had these stickers made up, mm. I asked them to do limited edition 150, and I got them to put the little, you know, slash 50 so I could fill in. And I've sent out about six, but I've been forgetting to, forgetting to write yeah, what number they are. But then I counted how many I've got left over and I've got 51 left over. So I think they, <laughs> so I think they gave me extras. So I think if you're one of the first six people to receive a sticker pack, you've actually got one in 56. So well, they're, they're a, they are still limited edition. They're a very limited edition, <laughs> which is they're the extras. Okay. Um, uh, Mike, podcast Mike is saying there are currently over 660. There are what? There are... <laughs> Currently, <laughs> okay, sure. over 660,000 podcasts in the world. 660,000. Yeah. So I said less than a million. Uh, there's over 28 million episodes as of Feb 2018. To highlight the growth, Apple confirmed there were over 550,000 podcasts at WWDC. What's that? Uh, WWDC? What Worldwide. would... Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I don't know. Don't know. Uh, Worldwide. Worldwide Developers Conference. Okay. Thank you. And he's written... A <laughs> Podcast Mikers sent me two separate messages, one in all caps, so I didn't fuck that up. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate it. <clears throat> I hope for one that Tofop continues well into the future. I am looking forward to hopefully making it to a live show at some point, but I live in Tasmania, very prepared to make the trip across the ditch. Thanks for filling in a lot of silence at work and a lot of alone time at home. Oh. All the best. Elena. Okay. Well, that was that was good. It was compliments. practical. Lots of compliments. No a bit questions. Of, bit of, you know... Advice, re-stickers. Okay, so uh, I've got a message here from Will Holmes, but he accidentally hit... So it looks like he's sent this to everyone in the Tofrop group because Reed Parker has answered him. But anyway, we'll read it out anyway. Uh, Will Holmes, he's given out his address to everyone who's a Patreon subscriber. 
<laughs> well, see, this is the unexpected bonus content you get. Sometimes you get the home address of other listeners. <laughs> hey, Tofop, here's another tantalizing Tofop tidbit. Can I just say the most recent episode, Wilness, was an absolute crack up. I was laughing the entire way through. It was so hilarious to have you guys just talk about one topic the whole way through. And it just kept building and building. I know that sounds like a big kick in the guts to all your other apps, but I just thought it was great. Anyway, keep up the laughs. Can't wait for the oncoming football season. Love, Will, with two L's. Okay. Well, okay. apart from the two L's, I'm fine with that. I mean, two compliments. I'm not complaining. Yeah. I actually, in retrospect, I'm starting to think that we get more material out of the ones who hate us yeah. than the ones who are giving us compliments. <laughs> okay, well, let's go to Tom. Let's see what he says. Two colon fop. Here's another tantalizing tofop tidbit. Recently became a Patreon member, uh, if I'm honest, though, mainly for the Quantum Cop comics. Three things I wanted to bring to your attention. Oh, yeah, by the way, Quantum Cop is still... Uh, the latest episode we've written is, is an epic. It's taking Foz a little bit longer to get done, but he sent us the art for the first half. You've seen it. I've yes. seen it. It's fucking awesome. It's amazing. But we, uh, we're not going to release it till we have the whole thing. And he has an, uh, we should uh, mention an exhibition coming up during the Melbourne International oh, Comedy Festival right. in Melbourne. And so at the moment, he's also doing a fair amount of work around yeah, getting everything ready for the exhibition. So um, we will post all the details on that. But if you're in Melbourne, it's during the first couple of weeks of the comedy festival, right, basically. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a whole bunch of his art that he's done for various comedy shows and obviously a lot of Tofop stuff and, you know, stuff from, from my shows and stuff like that as well. So... Um, I've said stuff a lot because yeah. I don't and we know should the exact say details, but we should give all the details. We are going to do uh, we're going to do a, a pod yes. in the, from the gallery. Is that right? Yeah. Or so, well, we haven't Something quite like nailed near it all the in, gallery. But yeah, as part of his exhibition, <laughs> we are going to do a, a little uh, Tofop episode. Tofop gets arty. And there'll only be a, a very limited amount of seats for that, but we will yeah. be doing that during the festival, and we will give you all the details when we have all the exact details. Okay. Here's another tofo, tantalizing tofo, uh, tidbit. Became a Patreon member. I wanted to bring this to your attention. The name for Will's new sleep show should be Will You Sleep With Me? Will You Sleep With Me is good. Have you had that one yet? Will Rested. We had a lot. Yeah. Uh, Will, as we said previously. Uh, there's been a few others. I wrote a cracker of an email about how can a clam cram in a cleaner cream can. <laughs> now I've hopefully tripped up Charlie. I really did write a banging email with a cracker of a game idea for you to bring some cash towards the, the show at the end of last year. It involves Charlie being the local sheriff and you try and sneak things into his bins without him noticing. I think there's more detail in the email if you can track it down. Uh, please talk about the Fire Festival finally. Check out last week's episode and keep on toe-fopping. Cheers, Tom. I'm not convinced if I put my address here, everyone can see it. <laughs> um, all right, let's pick a winner from those three. So there's oh. Elena who said, um, you know, she just loves listening to us. We're yep. the bed pod best podcast in the world. There was Will who uh, gave, gave, out, his gave his address, address to everybody. Out. Basically said Willness was the best episode ever. And then there was Tom, who uh, basically said, you should name your show, Will You Sleep With Me? He wrote an amazing email that we haven't read yet, and can we please talk about Fire Festival? Well, I would suggest that when we read uh, Tom's amazing email, we may give him the sticker book then. But we're okay. going to have to track that down and, and go to that another day. Okay. Um, I, I think it's a toss-up between Elena and Will. Um, Elena, very complimentary. Uh, really enjoyed that. Fair? Does it cost us more money to censor them to Tassie? Because it's... Oh, God, you're tired. <laughs> I mean, seriously. No. Mate, we're recording in a studio. It's probably costing us a fortune. Oh, yeah, it's a good point, actually. So, um, <laughs> well, I was going to say Will anyway, just because I think that everybody has Will's address there. 
<laughs> so, yeah. If everybody wants to send Will a, a sticker. Yeah. Well, also, there is that sort of thing that if somebody else really desperately wants the stickers, they know where Will lives and they could just keep going past Will's house if you and really want to know, his mail and steal his stickers. If you really know, want to know where... So, Reed's answer to him was, I got your last message, so I assume everyone else did too. <laughs> So if you really want to, uh, I mean, that's good motivation to join Patreon, right? To get Will's address. Yeah. Well, you know he's got a sticker book coming his yeah, way. Yeah, mate. <laughs> and if you want a sticker book. <laughs> uh, okay, well, we should probably wrap it up there. So if you want to support the show, the best way to do that, uh, if you're not buying movement products, is yes. to uh, go to patreon.com forward slash tofop. You can subscribe from any amount. It's a monthly amount that gets deduct- deducted from your account. Uh, some people will subscribe for a dollar a month. We appreciate that. Some people put in over $20 a month. We appreciate those guys even more. Russell Crowe, if you're listening, you know, you could put in. I mean, he owns pretty much the entire Central Coast, I'm pretty sure. I mean, and he owns like a football he's team got that, and stuff. Yeah, he's got that, hasn't he got that big farm? We could just relocate Tofop Enterprises just to the, his farm. Just give a little podcast studio. I oh, mean, how he's, good would that? How good would it be if uh, <laughs> Russell started listening to the podcast, decided he liked it and went, boys, I've got an offer for you. Would it be like some kind of Howard Hughes sort of type thing where we have to podcast exclusively for an audience of one? Like he'll keep us, we'll never want for anything again. We stay on his farm, but we just have to podcast for him for the rest of our lives. I mean, we're the equivalent of the Jokers for the King. Yes. the King's Court. Yes. And we just like constantly, he just gives us a bit of content and we podcast about it. (laughs) Yeah, he just texts us to talk about this article. Yeah. I'd be okay with that. Hey, guys, you might like this. G'day, Charlie and Will. How's it going? G'day, folks. <laughs> How's it going? Uh, you got a show to promote? Uh, yes, I do. It's called uh, Will Informed. It will be on at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, which starts Wednesday, the 27th of March, and it goes for four weeks, Wednesday through Sunday. Cheaper shows on uh, Wednesday, Thursday, and Sunday. Uh, that's about it. And then there'll be other states at other times. Okay. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. <laughs>